Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz and a slight tangent. It's incredibly useful and why not do it just because you think it's agricultural. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. The News Round on Off the Ball with Gillette. Start your day in flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Now then, you're welcome along. So another Champions League evening lies in store. Liverpool fans got to boo the Champions League anthem yesterday. Today it's the turn of Man City fans against Leipzig amongst the games. Dan McDonald will be here across the evening. We have Wednesday Night Rugby at the earlier time of 7.30. Rory O'Connor, Fiona Hayes coming your way. The reason we've moved it to 7.30 is that we have recorded an extraordinary interview, frankly. There's no other word for him when he starts talking about... Um, the most intimate of things, Liam Hayes, two-time All-Ireland winner with Mead, sports journalist, uh, publisher, novelist. We didn't even talk to him about that. A uh, man who's had his uh, fight with cancer and plenty more besides. So an extraordinary interview on his part. Coming your way between eight and nine, we had to cut out a chunk of it just for time purposes. But the full chat will, of course, go up on podcasts and our social channels. And I highly, highly, highly recommend it. 53106, the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Do get in touch. Dan McDonald, hello. Hi, Joe. How are you? Here we are. Yeah, we haven't even said, like, this is a real hello. We haven't actually said hello yet yes. at all, so I have yeah. no idea how you're doing. Okay. That's good. I could do it a coffee. Is that a hint? Just drop milk. Yeah. But um, we'll see what happens. Just throwing it out there. Your... <laughs> no, I'm good. Throwing it out. I'm good. Get a few good reviews in the papers and you're just bossing people around the place. What? Well, listen, mm. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream to mention it. No. Uh, so you watch Liverpool, I presume last night I did yes wow um, uh, uh, like uh, people who maybe listened to us chatting last week I mean I did get slightly worried when Liverpool went 2-0 up because you, you did send me a quite smug message on Saturday evening when they beat Newcastle when they beat Newcastle it wasn't even just when they beat Newcastle it was like 20 minutes into the game when they were 2-0 up yes um, because last week I had suggested that maybe beating Everton didn't really represent a turning of the corner and you were like stick with me here I was like, okay. Mm. And then they went tunnel up after like, <laughs> whatever, 15 minutes last night and you didn't come into my mind straight away at this stage going, I'm in here tomorrow and this is going to be a problem. And to be 100% accurate, I actually didn't see the first 15 minutes. I saw the rest of the game from then and I just, you know the way sometimes with a game, you'd be a bit complacent about watching the first few minutes of it sometimes. I'm not going to miss much. And you sort of saw, oh my God, what have I, you know, live put her back. Um, and I was thinking, do I send a message to, to Joe now to get ahead of the slagging, you know? Or will I just sit and wait? Pretty happy with how things worked out from that perspective. No no, no disrespect intended to Liverpool fans out there, but... Mm. Now, I was obviously talking in Premier League terms. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. They, they, <laughs> they, yeah. If, if only they could play Everton every week, you yeah. know, in a slightly scanty Newcastle. Mm. Um, I know, like, I mean, it was... It was firstly, like, again... I have no stake in the game here. So, I mean, it's different, obviously, for people who are, like, rabid Liverpool fans. From a football event perspective, it's just, like, really good to watch uh, yes. the best footballers at it, you know, and just seeing Luka Modric sort of careering through at the end. But the extent to which Liverpool are all over the shop is sort of uh, shocking in a way. And, look, it's easy to say it now because you did look at them on Saturday and think, OK, maybe there, is, maybe there yeah. is something happening here, but... So this this just sounds really smog in hindsight, but I, I think 
when you look at how the, the times recently where they've been dismantled by teams in the Premier League a couple of times, I suppose the idea that that can just click and that can be gone in a very short space of time because I think the point for me was that I appreciate the point about their energy and and like they had they had a bit of sort of zest in their play against Everton, but it's their application has been so bad at times, conceding goals early in games, yeah. coming out at block slowly. That I suppose if things aren't a hundred percent right, that just catches up with you over time. And because they are a great team, or they were a great team, or however you want to phrase it, like they have the ability to probably still produce big performances. I've no doubt they will between now and the end of the season. Like it wouldn't rule out them finishing in the top four but in terms of that sustained excellence yeah that that carried them through recent years I mean they did have that year the West Brom year where Alisson got the header but they they, they they dropped off and I just feel it and again it's so easy to say it now it's, this, it's the easiest time to say it but um, when you lose something I just think it, get, it can get found out yeah. by the smartest teams and and, and they were so good around the yeah, just like ah Vinicius is so good like I mean, I saw a bit of him in, in Qatar, you know, and, and I only saw Brazil once there. And I suppose you probably assume you'd see them more later in the competition. And again, it just gets lost in everything that happened in that tournament. But he is such an exciting player to watch, you know, when he sort of uh, gets going. But I mean, he was he was terrorising them then. And I suppose you look at the combination of, of having that type of threat and then you have some of the most intelligent footballers on the pitch like Benzema the positions he takes up it probably does expose teams who aren't at it you know in terms of their organisation and, and their awareness and but still I think just the scale of it the Anfield the European Knights and all these things all these yeah. all these big lines that we hit every so often yeah, um, and didn't matter completely dismantled Richie McCormick with us as well hello gents how are you it did, Rich, last night feel like just the definitive end point on any suggestion that Liverpool might have signs of life. Yeah, and even the sprouts that they've shown in the last couple of weeks, like we highlighted them last night talking to Kenny, Stefan Bajicic, you're looking at him last night and it like looked a couple of levels still above him and that's not his fault. He's an 18-year-old kid thrust into a, a failing Liverpool midfield and just happens to look like the best player in there but looked like he's some way off competing at that level on a consistent basis last night uh, and then those around him just completely failed entirely like Fabinho uh, has fallen off a cliff in terms of his form I'd, I'd love to know what that's down to similarly I think Virgil van Dijk is, is, is on a slide that's probably at his age going to be uh, irreversible um, and it's just hard to see how they get out of this they, like Dan's right like this year you look at the teams above them in the Premier League and you look at the run that they are still on in the Premier League and that can't be discounted that there is every chance they do finish in the top four and they'll give it a right rattle between now and May but that team needs big, big, big time refreshment and it's possibly not in the areas that a lot of people are already looking like the likes of James Milner and the Oxlade Chamberlains of this world will have to be cycled out And yeah. but it's it's people like Fabinho and, and Virgil van Dijk and even you know Trent Alexander-Arnold like that, that can't continue having fullbacks that can't defend um, there's only so long that you can put up with it and you can put up with it when you're being successful when you're being fed out on a weekly basis not only by your Real Madrid's but teams like Brentford it has to change yeah and that's such a complicated picture to unravel so like Trent is an interesting case for that like that point Rich makes about the defending and yeah I wonder will Klopp see it as well you know two of the goals last night one came from Fabinho giving the ball away and the other one came from 
uh, Bacic giving the ball away where he, he beat one man and then he just as an 18 year old would got a touch excited tried to beat the other and lost the ball and, and twice Madrid suckered them on the counter so like and, and Kenny Cunningham was in here last night and he was saying look I, I don't recognise this game I didn't play this game where the fullbacks are so high up everyone's so high up that if a midfielder loses the ball like that then all bets are off and we're in trouble so I, I'm just so curious will, will Klopp look at the trend situation or will he look at the likes of Fabinho and, and Bacic is going to get better but will he think oh, well, I mean that's the core issue that we're not Well there's clearly as, players as, as out there that can the do ball. both there's yeah, players there out there that be. can do both and you look at City like City have, have made uh, like Pep Guardiola to an extent has taken the mickey with what he's tried to do with that system over the last while wherein he'll just outwardly play a back three uh, while attacking and a, and a back four defence and just get Bernardo Silva to fill in there because he guesses he can. But there is a system wherein that still works. I just don't think that Trent Alexander-Arnold is up to it. And perhaps Andy Robertson isn't either, but I don't think he's the most pressing case, but certainly Alexander-Arnold is. And for all of his attacking nous and the kind of quiet talk that maybe he might be a better midfielder, the bare facts of it is he's a right back week in and week out and he's not performing well and that either needs to change as regards the way he change as the way he trains or the ultimate call is in personnel terms and he needs to be you know improved upon in the starting 11 yeah hmm. the other point then i suppose again if if cuz th- there is there are times where alexander arnold is just a bad defender and then there are times where alexander arnold is caught off off uh, out of position or further up the pitch because he's been asked to be further up the pitch and that's a that's an accepted risk on the on, on the part of Klopp and so the criticism there of Alexander Arnold is is unfair like I would criticise him for the goal Madrid scoring the Champions League final but there's other times where he's just high up the pitch where you say well that's the plan he's meant to be high up the pitch the other thing which jumped out last night as they went up levels against Madrid it's just like you can it, it's such an obvious point to make that it's not made enough but you can't go from Salah, Mane and Firmino to what they have. You just can't. Like Nunes is fine and Gapko is fine and they actually had reasonable games last night. And the Nunes finish was amazing. Mm. However, in general play, he's still so raw. Like there was a, there was a moment in the second half where Liverpool kind of quasi on the break, Nunes picks it up left-hand side, edge of his own area-ish, has space to run into and, and they're kind of on the break. Not quite, but kind of. And he just sprints flat out straight into a circle of Madrid players doesn't decide early enough what's the right thing to do here what's the right pass to give do I go myself and head for the touchline and try and go that way just ran straight into midfield and into centre circle into traffic ball taken off him Mane's not doing that and there is such a rawness about his play that Will kind of he, stuff is rectifiable though like, yeah no that, that is like, like, like medium, term, the team, medium term and, you, and yeah and you can mould those players and you can alter the way they train and alter the way they prepare and alter the, the, the way they approach a game tactically but when you're finished moulding players, the likes of Trent or the likes of Virgil van Dijk or the likes of Fabinho, and they've almost served up their use, um, like that's the big call that has to be made. I don't think he's going to change things in the front three. Those are that he's just going to keep playing that way. But he needs to find better players for the positions that are causing him trouble at the moment. And funding is going to be the issue because they don't like the ownership situation is bizarre. Whereby they they were saying Tom uh, Werner said they were seeking a potential sale. That's altered significantly this week with John W. Henry saying that it's going to be a minor investment only. But that investment needs to be big because they need to be spend big, big money to overhaul that team. Where are you, Dan, on their defenders? Like I saw, for instance, Carragher went in really heavily on Van Dijk. Yeah, and look, Carragher is a—he's I, I like Carragher as a pundit. You know, he—he's he, sort of—he's um, not someone you would describe as sort of like. 
overly chummy you know with sort of yeah, Liverpool yeah. players obviously he would have had trickiness at times with Stephen Gerrard's in certain roles and, and you can see the discomfort but in saying that I'm not sure if he'd go in as heavy on Van Dijk if he wasn't feeling get, sensing something in the air that suggested it was merited if you know what I mean and I think I think you know clearly um, there's 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 some kind of concern and now I mean, the very kind reading of it is that it just hasn't been the same since coming back from a very serious long term injury yeah. um, but you would feel it was more to it than that in the sense of how how heavy he's gone in on them and I think with Van Dijk as well I think the thing about Liverpool I think like I don't watch Liverpool every week in the way that like they're they're hardcore fans. But I remember being in here earlier in the season. I think David Myler was on, and it was before, it might have been before the, they played Man City, and almost they'd had a bad result the week before. And you're almost thinking, oh, will they compromise their principles in some way? Will they, will they go a little bit safer here against City? And it's like yeah. no, like this is the way they play is the way they play, and it's what you're talking about. They live on the edge, you know. They they live with that degree of risk all the time, but. When Van Dijk was so good, you know, when he was at his absolute peak, I suppose that gives you a little bit more freedom because you have that sort of towering presence defensively. And if you lose that bit of trust in him or you feel that he's not at it, then the foundation of the whole thing becomes a little bit shaky, yeah, yeah. you know. And then I, I sometimes wonder, like, I'd love to, in, in years to come, ask Van Dijk's teammates um, what they think of him now because I presume he was like seeing him on the pitch was just so reassuring and now then there's almost a sense of fallibility around them and, and then you lose a little bit of something you know um, that, that sort of that, that helped the whole thing to work and it was always a question of well, who's his best partner and you know what, what, what are the attributes of the various people but now like you know people are suggesting he's, he's potentially a problem mm. but then that adds even it was always a case of the need to restructure the midfield eventually but getting away with it in midfield but then add the defence into that and you're it's sort of what Richie alludes to you're yeah. talking about a complete rebuild all the way through the spine of the side effectively I mean you can take that to the nth degree by saying okay Salah signed a long term deal but he's also just creeping a little bit older as well too so um, that's definitely a glass half empty taken where things are we should uh, bring people up to speed on what's going on in the world. The news round is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Richie, uh, I think everybody expected in the end the Wales-England match would go ahead and here we are. Yeah, we got to the ledge though. Saturday's Six Nations meeting of Wales and England will go ahead as planned. Acting WRU Chief Executive Nigel Walker confirmed the news this evening, having met with senior Wales internationals Ken Owens, Alan Wynne-Jones and George North. Dozens of Welsh rugby players from all four regions descended on the Vale Resort adjacent to the WRU Centre of Excellence today. They attended a meeting helmed by Walker and the Professional Rugby Board Chair Malcolm Wall. Afterwards, Walker confirmed the current freeze on contracts will be lifted next week and the 60-cap rule will be lowered to a threshold of 25. Wales captain Ken Owens insisted they will be good to go on Saturday despite the stresses of the past week. Yeah, it's been very tough, as you can probably see from, see from my voice. Um, no, it, it has been a really tough, tough sort of another event in, in Welsh rugby, which is hugely frustrating. Um, but it's been it's been a difficult period of the last sort of year, 18 months. Um, and hopefully we don't, we don't end up here again. One thing I can say from a player's point of view is it has been tough, but we are fronted up in training. Uh, we've prepared as we would for any test match over the, over the last um, 10 days since sort of the announcement came. Um, you know, and we're looking forward again on Saturday and um, I'm going toe-to-toe -to -toe against England. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> I 
<laughs> it's hard to know what to expect. Rory O'Connor, Fiona Hayes on the way this hour. Uh, the reason Wednesday Rugby is coming at you sooner rather than the usual time of 8 o'clock is Liam Hayes is our feature interview between 8 and 9. Recorded this a little while ago. It's brilliant. We can't include all of it even, but we'll go for the vast, vast majority, give you the, the full hour, 8 to 9, over to Liam Hayes. It's a great interview, so um, tune in for that if you're uh, of any way inclined. Uh, we have a new captain for the Ireland game on Saturday. Yeah, James Ryan is going to captain Ireland in Saturday's Six Nations game away to Italy. A groin injury has seen Jonathan Sexton ruled out of the trip to Rome with his place likely to go to Ross Byrne. Ryan was before the media today and was asked about a presentation given to the squad ahead of the France test that involved former Ulster and Ireland player David Irwin. Uh, obviously the, the history of the jersey and the Irish rugby team. Um, a little bit about Ireland's call and Ireland's call, for example, you know, people seem to give out about it a bit, but they probably don't understand the bigger picture of it, um, you know, the uniqueness of it, uh, the uniqueness of the Irish rugby team, because you know, it's the only song that, recogni- that recognises the fact that you know, the Irish rugby team makes up the whole island, uh, north and south. Um, and then it's just understanding how kind of sport binds people together and how you know, the last almost 150 years... The Irish rugby team is one of the only things that has persisted, um, you know, in unity and solidarity uh, on this island. So, understanding, you know, the, the strength of it, uh, the sacrifices that people made to, to, to wear the green jersey, um, and the privilege as well to, to wear. Agreed. It's just a superior support to uh, <laughs> football. It was Craig Doyle in on that presentation. Yeah, yeah, he as was. Well. Yeah, yeah. He Established why? Craig Doyle and. Brian O'Driscoll produced the documentary. Ah, okay. Yeah. And I, then I, that does make a little bit more sense. Dave Irwin, doctor, who was in that awful car crash in 87, yeah. went in and gave his experience as well. So apparently... I mean, Paul Rouse was talking as well too at, at some point, wasn't he? There's, was he? I think his name he was, was yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Ah. yeah so, no better man. No, like he, well, he former college lecturer of mine yeah. Like, yeah, back in the day. Very... Uh, um, I know, I know. A Paul Rouse sort of speech, as you know, would probably be very interesting. Oh, yeah. You know, in terms of uh, sort of running into the weeds of the history and, and Paul did a whole series in here during lockdown when, frankly, ideas were thin on the ground. Dan. Mm. Uh, but this was a, I mean, a, a brilliant idea. So he he did in effect, and you, I know you sat in on many of his lectures. He yeah. he in effect kind of brought his um, his sports. Uh, history of sports lecture series to life and just did it across 10 weeks or so it's uh, it's uh, in the annals if anyone wants to check mm. it out Real Madrid steamrolled Liverpool physicality light years ahead Henderson and co look jaded says somebody I mean I, I, I mean how could you not agree I would say first 20-25 minutes we saw Liverpool trying to be Liverpool pressing high doing their thing winning possession and then they just couldn't maintain it mm. uh, which is very understandable as well any update on the tuna pancakes oh Jesus no, no. update but we, we still are led to believe it's a real thing I've missed this now yeah Mick and Cork count yourself lucky Tom. count mm. yourself lucky Kenny brought in pancakes yesterday courtesy of his mother oh lovely yeah uh, people started uh, offering up what they like to put in their pancakes it was all very normal <laughs> until Mick and Cork said family tradition tuna out of the tin <laughs> on a pancake I mean, that's a cry for help. <laughs> Kenny was shook. <laughs> yeah, even, even Kenny was like yeah. flummoxed by that. Yeah. Yeah. So the Republic of Ireland were in action this afternoon. 
thought they were. It wasn't exactly exciting fair no. out there in Cadiz. Uh, Vera Paolo said she was pleased with the performance of her Republic of Ireland side this afternoon. They played out a goalless draw with China uh, there in Cadiz, offering three debuts as well. Ireland have also secured a pair of World Cup warm-ups against the United States in April. They'll play the reigning world champions in Austin on the 8th of that month before a meeting again in St. Louis in Missouri. Three days later, uh, Pau said afterwards today it will be an excellent test for her players. Uh, by times it was not good but we, we can only grow from it uh, from doing it and I think the whole game we've been trying I was going to ask was there anything that kind of particularly concerned you or something maybe that you thought next camp that's the thing I want to focus on and really like work out the cracks in well the next camp uh, we will be under huge pressure and that huge pressure um, is then on, of a complete different aim so the the, the opponents that we've chosen, we've chosen in a way that, um, for example, this week uh, we could play closer against Germany to be ready for the pressure so that we could work on our uh, attacking play. And because normally you're more open, so you will get more risks against. But the fact that we play Germany, we could do this now. And the next step is that we need to get under the highest pressure again uh, and to that next step. Uh, to be fair, the FAI are giving them proper preparation here mm. this training camp USA twice four time World Cup winners four time Olympic champions that, that is ideal preparation uh, I think Vera Pau has been uh, very positive about that performance today like this team are beyond being patronised at this stage what you would say against the 14th best side in the world in China is that they defensively were pretty secure and that's the MO of this team in many respects it 100% is they, what they did against Scotland it was a counter attacking performance and I suspect at the World Cup, not least opening match against Australia, crowd of 80,000 in the main Australian fans, as much as you suspect lots of Irish will somehow get into that game, but it will be all a rear guard action. And so that's the way they go about their business. However, you would have to say on the ball today was really poor. It was really bad. I would say in the first half, there weren't three to four passes in a row in the opposition. That was half. a hard watch. But it would, forget, yeah. okay, entertainment point aside, but just after a camp like that and working on patterns of play. The only pattern I saw was that when Ireland had the ball in their own half, Della Harper right back at push on, they'd go to a back three and, and from there, play disintegrated. Like it's really worrying that they can't put passages of play together. Like it, was a, it, was a, it was a dispiriting performance on the ball. It was very committed. They were very good in defence. Come World Cup time, there'll be a danger in the counter-attack. But in terms of trying to knit play together, something's not working there very well. But is that sort of the thing is? I mean, we'll see where things are at by the World Cup. But I mean, Canada are traditionally a very strong side. I know there's all sorts of issues, but they're FA at the moment, so we'll see where they are. Yeah. Um, but like Vera Pau to me strikes me as someone who's always planning ahead. That whole structure you're talking about, like in reality, in that World Cup, you can see Ireland in two of their three group games being the team who's just trying to be strong defensively and nick something on the counter they're not going to be the purest ch choice you know in this competition they never have been really under power they it's about like it's about the sense of achievement they've, they've broken down the barriers by being very disciplined and that's what they do and you can even see in the last 20 minutes of the game today and it's a close you know it feels like a closed doors friendly because there's such a small crowd there yeah and you can see the structure you can see players are very aware of their positions defensively agreed yeah but that's no I mean, reason that's, to no, no. do a bit more on oh, the no, ball. Oh, no, no, and, and like that's, I mean, they're, they'll, they're sort of live or die by it. Like if they, I always would have said this, if they didn't qualify mm. for the World Cup, there probably would have been these questions of, God, could they have done more yeah. at times with some of these players, but they did it. Yeah. That hasn't been done before. 
Um, and I, we've probably lived through a version of this debate in Irish football in sort of nineteen eighty eight, nineteen ninety. ninety. I mean, yeah, so all, all, all criticism is is uh, I mean, just cribbing if things are going well on that's, the pitch. That will be the that will yeah. be the the atmosphere and the attitude around it. Um, and this is all about preparation for that. We will talk more about that on the football show. We'll talk about John O'Shea's appointment mm. and uh, plenty more besides. We are out of time. Richie, thanks, Emil. Nice and lads. Cheers, Dan. Here for the football show in the Champions League. So uh, we will say uh, good luck for the time being. Cheers, Joe. Good luck for the time. <laughs> that, was, that was a that was a really neat segue. To be honest, Dan, take care. Take yeah, care. thanks. Listen, okay. you look you look after yourself, Joe. Okay, yeah. let's wrap this up.